about that cigar? How about that cigar? Guys, you know what night it is. Mm. It's Tuesday, our favorite night of the week. It is January 14th, 2020. I still can't believe it's 2020. We're halfway through the first month. Thank you so much for joining us. We are, as always, live in the Drew Estate Cigar Studios here at Sodi Cigar Lounge in near Stillwater, Minnesota. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in. If you are watching right now, please share us out to your favorite Facebook cigar groups. And if you're listening after the fact on the audio podcast, guys, thanks so much for listening while you drive down the road, work out, whatever it is you do while you listen to your favorite audio podcasts. And uh, Drew Estate would like to announce the reopening of the Cigar Safari Program, the ultimate experiential cigar tour to Esteli, Nicaragua, hosted at La Grand Fabrica Drew Estate for four days and three nights. The 2020 season will be used as an incubator season for a variety of planned enhancements and limited to only five trips. These enhancements will be fully unleashed during the 2021 season. Um. Uh, while visiting Subculture Studios, attendees will have Drew Estate's very own art team custom paint an item of their choosing. The experience is truly unforgettable and unique among cigar manufacturers. Safari presents an opportunity for consumers and retailers to take a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Drew Estate's Nicaraguan Cigar Factory and explore the mm. ecotourism of Nicaragua. At La Grand Fabrica Drew Estate, guests learn the entire process of creation from seed to cigar, including seed. the magic experience of blending their own cigars. For more info please visit CigarSafari.com. So, Garrett, there was a little bit of a development in the National Football League this last week. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was? Uh, I guess. You you don't want to talk about it, do you? Well, so, again, you know, I I didn't have high (laughs) expectations. You know, the fact that the Vikings actually beat New Orleans last week. Absolutely. That, for me, was the moral victory. You know, yeah. So I'm still riding on that. <laughs> I, I'm still riding that one. We That's beat right. New Orleans. Yeah. You know? uh, the 49ers are just, dude, they are yeah. on all sides of the ball clicking and um, are fantastic. And, and we, you know, we got it handed to us. So, well, so, you know, my team, the Green Bay Packers. Yep. We beat Seattle. Yeah. That's great. Huge. I'm happy that we beat them. We played better than we did a lot of the season. But yep. now we have to go to San Francisco and play that team. And, Dude. Uh, I, I hate to say it, but they, I, I had this feeling earlier in the season about the midway point that San Francisco was not as good as they played, but they are way better than I thought. They are so good. So I, you know, I am, and a, I am one of the few Vikings fans. When I tell Vikings fans that I'm rooting for the Packers now, they look at me. <laughs> As if, yeah, I, I don't like it's just it's gross. And dang it, anyway, I want to. It's fun to have that border, ba- border battle, it's yeah. fun to have that rivalry, yeah. you know. But once you know the other team isn't in the playoffs, it's okay to root for that other team. We're in the same division, for yeah. gosh sakes. And um, there's a for history there sakes. for goodness. Oh sakes. my goodness, gosh, oh, for just have a hot dish and get over it. <laughs> You know, so I think, uh, you know, Go Pack Go is is yeah. uh, the bandwagon I'm on. Represent right the now. NFC North. Yep. 
So, uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to that. Guys, get out to your favorite cigar shops locally. These games are going to be on. It's a good way for you to watch the games together with friends and family yeah. and support your local brick-and-mortar shops at the same time. It's really important to do that. So, yep. you know, find those cigar shops out there and go buy, buy some cigars, sit down, and enjoy the game together. Absolutely. Um, guys, as always, um, we want to thank you again for joining us. Um, and we're going to get into our main segment with a very special guest. And the main segment, as always, brought to you by Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com. They are the Internet's largest and easiest to use virtual cigar store. Corona Cigar Ooh. offers the finest handmade cigars, humidors, yeah, and accessories made. at the absolute lowest possible price. And you will also find unique and limited cigars containing Florida sun-grown tobacco. As a proud American, president and founder of Corona Cigar Company, Mr. Jeff Borshowitz, believed it was possible to bring cigar tobacco farming back to Florida. At Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com, you'll find the best selection anywhere in the world of cigars containing this special Florida sun-grown tobacco. If you live in Florida or are just visiting, be sure to visit any of the great Corona Cigar locations in downtown Orlando, Sand Lake, Lake Mary, and also the Davidoff of Geneva Lounge in Tampa. For more info mm-hmm. on all of that, please visit coronacigar.com and floridasungrown.com. And I just can't wait any longer. I want to bring in our special guest, ladies and gentlemen, from Foundation Cigar Company, Mr. Nick Melillo. Nick, what? how are you doing this evening? Nick. What's up, everybody? It's a beautiful, for having me. beautiful night. We're so grateful to have you here on the show. And uh, you, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, you're coming live from Esteli, Nicaragua. Is that right? Esteli, representando... In the Love north it. of Nicaragua. Yeah. Love it. So, muy bueno. Muy bueno. Mi español es muy guapo. <laughs> it's pretty It's pretty handsome, your, es, your <laughs> español. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. He has very handsome español. Dude, and for those who don't, so I had a, I had a blast kind of looking. So for those who don't know, if you just Google Nick Melillo, um, not only will you find a bunch of stuff about this Nick, but... I'm pretty sure it's like the third most popular name in the world. No. Dude. Really? Oh my gosh. There is like three professional baseball players that are. I didn't even notice. Are you sure you were spelling the last name right? It's exactly the same. Okay. I went onto LinkedIn and Nick Melillo, they're like a a ton of day traders with your name. There's really. All you have to do is add one word. Cigars. cigars absolutely yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're right. yeah but the cool thing that i learned was uh nick was actually uh born with a uh connecticut broadleaf diaper yes right yes. out of the womb <laughs> like that was it's true what happened yeah. yeah we tried to go with the uh you know the thinner seiko leaves so yeah the, you yeah. know yeah the veins weren't you know you blow right through that didn't cause any problems right yeah 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 so yeah, it's true. You got the bio pretty good. <laughs> I didn't really realize there was that many. Uh, Dude, check Melillos. it out. It's, yeah, it's it's fun. It's a fun trip. I, I actually met one um, in California, Nicholas Melillo. Um, mm-hmm. He had to be in his uh, early sixties, and uh, his I think it was his aunt was like the director of the Pompeii Museum in Italy. Oh, nice. We had some interesting connects. Uh, but that was the first time I really met a Nick Melillo in person. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Well, just to remind people, too, that are watching and listening, uh, leave comments and questions. Chance to win stuff. Uh, today, we're going to be giving out some cigars, some T-shirts, uh, some hats. So 
Uh, Nick, excited to have you, man. Yeah. Great to be here. I appreciate you guys. It's, so, uh, it's been a long time in the making. Absolutely. And we, we're, this is, you know, one of those times a year, early in the year, that everybody starts kind of looking forward and, you know, excited about what's coming up. But, you know, because it's like you've got this brand new thing ahead of you. You've got this brand new year that you can make into whatever you want it to be. But to give our audience, our listeners, our viewers an idea of, you know, who you are and where you came from, because you're, you know, you've got a tobacco history in, you know, in your family. And so give us an idea of, of you know, where you came from, from, uh, from a standpoint of having tobacco in your family. Sure. So really just as consumers and cigar lovers. So no one was directly, you know, growing, but both of my grandfathers, my great grandfathers, everybody enjoyed um, Connecticut cigars. So Connecticut is is one of those places, few places in the United States uh, that grows cigar tobacco, uh, black tobacco. It's great to see Jeff from Corona, um, you know, growing tobacco in Florida again. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Connecticut, you know, I just grew up with the aroma of broadleaf, Connecticut shade. It was something, you know, really connected, of course, to my grandfather's and, you know, I just always, always loved the aroma of cigars. So when I was 18, I started working in a cigar shop in Connecticut called the Calabash Shop. Um, I was just starting college. And by 18, I had just learned pretty much everything I could about, you know, the ceremony of smoking cigars. At that time, it was 1996. So it was the height of what we call the cigar boom. Yeah. So yeah. it was a really interesting time to enter and you know start learning the business and working in a cigar shop you know that, to me not to be cliche but that really was the you know foundation and the pillars i worked for two amazing women that that ran the shop they had it from the from the 70s they started full-fledged tobacconist we prided ourselves as having one of the largest pipe briar pipe selections in the states and uh, they put their full confidence in me to run the humidor I think they noticed my passion for cigars early on. And um, yeah, that's, I sort of, you know, that's when it officially started. Yeah. But, you know, originally ceremony. started, what's that? I love the word ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fabulous descriptor. And I've never heard it that way. And I, everything you've said after that is just kind of washed away because I've been. <laughs> He stopped running. listening. I did. I can't see you anymore. <laughs> yeah. For some reason. All I can do is see my there, there you, you are. There you are. The hamster nice. wheel, like ceremony, like that's such so, a great. So you know, at, at eighteen, I was always one of these 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 youngsters that was always asking why. Why is this? Why you know at seven years old, mom? Why is this? Why is that? So as I got older, history became something that really struck my interest, and yeah. getting into the history of tobacco and, and in Connecticut. And why, you know, Connecticut, you know, to me, it was one of the coolest things, you know, you grow up when you're young, it's like, eh, this, you know, Connecticut's not cool. And this, but, you know, <laughs> cigar tobacco in Connecticut and, uh, you know, just learning about the indigenous use of it. This is how this plant, mm -hmm. this is such a mysterious plant and uh, it has such an ancient history just in the story of humanity. Um, and, you know, tobacco dates 2.1 million years old to Peru. So the same, I forgot his name. He's a Dutch, um, a Dutch gentleman. He discovered the saber-toothed tiger. He also discovered fossilized tobacco. 
and they dated oh, at two point wow. one, you know. And then we really don't know much, you know, much about it because so much was lost with indigenous culture and tobacco yeah. was only indigenous to this hemisphere. Um, but that that was one of its main purposes was ceremony, you know, yeah. to also communicate with the with the spirit world. And it was used for multifaceted. So just seeing it growing growing up and my grandfather's and this is like the modern day ceremony, whether people the cutting, the light. Eating, you know, it's, to me, it's still still an act of you know ceremony in many ways, and oh yeah, it's yeah, that's for me at least. You I, know? Love so, I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's a great way to talk about it. You it know, and really and, and I actually there's there's a um, another question that I'm actually going to get to in a little bit because it kind of ties back into that. But I also want to you know for people because you know foundation has been a great success, you know, even though, you know, it's a young, it's a, it's a young venture. It's a, it's, it's a still a relatively new thing, but it's been a great success and it's, you know, in, even in, in its infancy, but a lot of the fact that it's uh, the things that, that are, that led to that success are because not only of your upbringing with being, being around tobacco and, and like you said, having, you know, the aroma of, of Connecticut broadleaf around you, but, um, out of college, you you got into the business, you know, full time. And um, if I'm not mistaken, and, and you went to work for Drew Estate for quite a long time. And yeah, what, yeah. Was the, what was the experience like of, you know, getting into that business and starting to work with that company? And, you know, because at the time, you know, Drew Estate isn't what we think of it today. I mean, Drew Estate is a monstrous company now. Um, part of yeah. a part of a large conglomerate, you know, still, um, you know, it's still it's amazing as it's I'm glad to see Cigar Safari started again. Yeah, that's, uh, it's oh, one of, geez. you know, to me, you know, the most amazing factory still is, you know, it's just an amazing experience. So to see that come online again is awesome. Absolutely. And and for people to have the chance to go, you know, to, it, it changed my life. The experience. Honestly. Yeah, exactly. The first time exactly. I went there, it, it, it genuinely yeah. changed my life. It just gave me. Uh, this and that's what it did to me the first time I saw the process. You know, it was it was life changing. Um, so what was what was that like for you when you you know you first you first got in in uh, uh, you got to know JD and it was a natural progression, man. Okay. It just sort of it just sort of happened in in many ways. You know, it was just sort of something that evolved. So again, coming into the business in '96 at the height of the cigar boom, yeah. I came in August. 96 a week before i was starting university for an international business degree so my first week the two owners mary god rest her soul and carol velarde they handed me two bags because they had just gotten back from the trade show that year which was called rtda yeah and man we called it that year can you hear me yeah, there we're we still here. We're back. There we go. Um, so, you know, that year there were so many brands. The market had, you know, become a bubble in 96. There was brands. I mean, it was insanity how many brands. And tobacco markets had gotten all messed up because people were just trying to get into it to make a quick buck. And they were paying crazy prices for tobacco. And, you know, I was smoking these samples because they put me in charge of, um, you know, buying all the new brands or any any brands that I wanted to bring into the humidor. And, you know, I said at that time, all somebody has to do is put some real heart and soul into this. Yeah. And fast forward, you know, a couple years later, 
I meet John Drew, who had just been making a cigar called La Vieja Habana, yeah. which uh, Nick Perdomo was making at the time. So we had an event. You know, I brought the cigar into the store because I really loved it. They, some of the sales reps early on, they came in with a cigar called Samaro, which was nobody knows about it. It was one of the original <laughs> DE brands. Um, it was god awful at the time. But they kept. <laughs> I didn't bring that one in, but they kept. You know, it kept coming. Uh, the guy at the time was Rick Ardito, who's now with Bugatti Lighters, which is an awesome lighter. Um, he, we just built a relationship, and he would come in and keep coming in. They came in with La Vieja Habana. So we did an event one Saturday and that's the first time I met John and we just hit it off and we exchanged, you know, contact information. I, that was like 97, 98, okay. maybe 98. Yeah. And then we just kept in touch, you know, via email. I graduated school when I wasn't in school, I was running the shop. I knew, I knew two things when I was graduating school. I love, I love cigars, but I also wanted to travel. Yeah. So I ended up moving overseas, uh, worked a little bit in Rome, followed Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers around Europe for their last tour in 2000, and then came back to work on my master's degree, was working in the store again, and, and then I, Italy, and then I said at that point I couldn't go back to a classroom, so I bought an around-the-world ticket from, uh, from Italy to France to India to Thailand, oh, went wow. down the Mekong River into um, Laos, into Vietnam, into China. So John was on my email list at that time, you know, at that time. Yeah. In early 2000s, nobody wanted to go to Nicaragua. There wasn't a destiny, you know, like now nobody wanted to go down and travel to Nicaragua. It was just, you know, not a touristy place. Nobody was visiting factories at that time. So I think the light went off in John's head as he was okay. getting emails emails from me traveling through the jungles of Thailand. And uh, he called me up in Japan and said, I want you to be my right hand man. I want you to come live in Nicaragua. So after traveling around the world for almost a year, I was in the States for about three weeks. And then I flew down to Nicaragua in March of 2003 and never left. Really. Wow. Yeah. And how I long mean, did you, how long did you live? Um, in uh, in Nicaragua, so the majority of my time since two thousand three has been in Nicaragua. Okay. So just the so past years since I started Foundation, you know, now managing sales and and you know manufacturing, I've yeah. had to spend more time and I've been you know visiting retailers more. But yeah. um, you know, twelve years it was eighty five ninety percent of my time. Was in Nicaragua. Yeah. So at this point, you've got to just out of necessity, you've got to spend more time in the States. Yeah. Well, yeah. just recently, you know, recently the past four years now, just because of the, you know, the level of growth we've gone through productions, my commitment with, uh, you know, different tobaccos and crops coming in. I'm going to be spending a lot more time in, in Nicaragua this year. Yeah. And this is what this is where I love to be. You oh know, yeah, absolutely. This is, sure. this is. I mean, I love to be in the humidors at the same time, but for me, this has to be. This has to be right all yeah. the time. You know, yeah. so it's the first commitment for me to you know you customers, cigar lovers, the stores. Yeah, is is the product first and foremost. So, when I read know. something too that you had said in an earlier interview, um, that kind of reminds me of something Matt said. 
if I was going to start my own thing, I kind of needed to do it now rather than wait. And um, can you talk about that process a little bit and what that looked like? Yeah, I mean, um, it was, you know, so 2003, I moved down to Nick, you know, Drew Estate was work, we were working out of the back of Nick Perdomo's old house. You know, the company was a fraction of its size. Yeah. You know, we were predominantly making infused cigars, which I respected as far as, you know, working a store and everybody having different palettes. I was a hardcore traditionalist, you know, 3000 Maduro Padron smoker, a lot of Fuentes. Um, and, uh, you know, then just started really getting into blending and tobacco and, you know, over 12 years helped, you know, with an amazing team build the largest cigar factory in Nicaragua. Two years to even, you know, make a decision of leave. It was one of the most difficult decisions of my life. Um, but oh, I knew, yeah, yeah. Um, and I knew the FDA stuff was coming down the pipeline. So I knew if I didn't start, you know, not only getting older, but then also with FDA, if I didn't start the company when I did, I might not be able to start a cigar company. That's how crazy, yeah. you know, all this FDA. Mm -hmm. And luckily I did make the decision when I did, um, yeah. because a lot of the stuff for the cutoff dates for you know, the FDA stuff is 2016. Yeah. August, August 8th, 2016. So, um, again, it just sort of was a natural progression as far as I knew if I didn't do it, I'd always be questioning myself. And right. yep. yeah, I felt like, you know, having knowledge about tobacco, I've been fortunate to have such an experience, you know, working with the leaf, working with this amazing process from seed to cigar. Um, and just built up this experience over so many years. I knew, you know, I'd be able to find if if I failed, I'd be able to get a job. It wasn't like some twenty-one-year-old is going to come take my job. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because just yeah. more time and experience with the leaf, and you know, it's just you know, well, more and knowledge and power as far as just knowing. Yeah. So when you because you you can gain a lot of relationships in this business. And, and we say it on the show a lot that, that um, every business is about relationships, but cigars, the cigar business, the cigar industry, I think is even more so. And you obviously had an opportunity and, and a chance during the time that you lived in Esteli and, and, and worked in the business to build a lot of relationships, um, both within the company that you were with and outside of the company and more so than, than being in the States and just going to the trade show and going to some brick and mortars here and there, being in Esteli all the time, you, you were able to build and, and nurture relationships. So when you, when you started the ball rolling of getting foundation on its feet, where did, and I've always been curious when a cigar company starts, you know, because you're not going to spend money out of, you're not going to build a factory, you know, and, and, and all this stuff. I, so, I it was, it almost, it, it was definitely discussed and almost a path I took. Yeah, and I was, yeah. I was, you know, I was wasn't sure if you, you know, thought about going that route, but but knowing that you you went a different way and you decided to build relationships and and you know do these products through some factory, you know, some some existing factories. 
What, what's the process like for starting that, you know, for, for uh, getting, you know, buying tobacco and working with those companies and saying, hey, I want to, I'm starting this brand and I want to partner with your factory to put these products together for me. And, you know, what, what is that? So it just, like? again, it was a, a natural progression um, for me, you know, a lot of these relationships, you know, the well, Wednesday, the wise man, which was my first blend, um, you know, I've been working with Agonorsa Leaf since 2003. So we, I had developed, uh, you know, many ex- relationships buying tobacco uh, from them. I knew the leaf really well. Um, and then a good friend of mine, Dion Giolito from Illusion. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him because he really just helped me. Not only he helped me pick, pack, and ship the first year. He did all my fulfillment. <laughs> but just, you know, being there, just, you know, support and believing in me. But he was down here and, you know, at the factory. And, you know, it was just, you know, come over to and hang out. And, you know, I knew I wanted to do something that was all Nicaraguan, filler, binder, and wrapper. I wanted to have my first brand, Way Wednesday. It's a doozy. Yeah. You know, indigenous <laughs> to Nicaragua. I mean, obviously, I know you know, language a bit and that that one's a difficult one to pronounce, but I wanted to really show as my first blend and brand, this has been my experience. It's been Nicaragua. It hasn't been, you know, the sales and distribution side. So I, it was purely passion, you know, the first, the first brand just to show, you know, my love for Nicaraguan tobacco and for the culture of this place, you know, I call my second home. So being over at Aganorsa, they grow one of the, you know, most amazing wrapper tobaccos from Nicaragua, you know, up in Jalapa under shaded tents. And it's just an amazing, oily, tasty Corojo, mm-hmm. um, you know, tobacco. So yeah. it just sort of went from there and they opened their arms to me. You know, I was coming from a, um, a much larger operation uh, you know, working with quality control filters, working with, you know, the actual manufacturing and efficiencies, you know, I was able to bring that to the table over there and they were, you know, just getting going and, um, you know, they opened their doors to me and just, it was, I tell people that, you know, I'm like, I'm like a grandfather now, <laughs> you know, I get to go, I get to see the kids, yeah. I get to hang out with the kids, I get to blend the tobacco, I get to select all these tobaccos work with amazing tobacco suppliers. Yeah. Everything that I need to do to have control over, you know, blends and, and the brands. And um, yeah, it just sort of happened pretty naturally in that way. And these are, you know, people I've known for, you know, yeah. for 14 years before I started working, you know, 13 years before I started working with them. Yeah. Well, and that answers your question. Absolutely. It's, it's one of those areas where you, uh, you know, again, about the relationships, it's, it's not just people that you have relationships with and can have conversations with and have a lot in common with. It's people who, who make a decision like, like Dion, to, people who make a decision to, to help you and mentor you and guide you and things like that. It's, it's so important to have those people around you. And, you know, I've, I've been so fortunate to talk to so many people in this, in this culture, in this industry where that's been the case, somebody has come alongside them and said, 
I, I, I know you've got the passion. I know you've got the work ethic and I know you've got the knowledge. So I'm going to impart the extra pieces that are going to help you, you know, kind of get this thing off the ground. And that must've been huge. Huge. Yeah. You know, cause it was starting with one brand, you know, like two people at the time I was working out of a post and bean cabin I had in Connecticut, a little, you know, a little small place. And, you know, originally I had been thinking about starting just before the company even started. So I didn't want to go into a situation where, you know, it was half the company was not mine. And, yeah. you know, I wanted to get into business for myself to be, you know, have control over it. So I didn't want to get into a situation, you know, again, where it's, uh, you know, you got to kind of answer for someone from a creative side. And, right. You know, I didn't work on brands before. It was strictly on the blends and tobacco side. So I really wanted to have the the freedom to really express, you know, things that I love yeah. and appreciate in life. And to be able to complement the blends now after working on blends for so long and then, you know, being an art lover and, you know, just music lover to be able to work on, on these things with, uh, you know, my amazing art director. His name is Steve Operanda. He's, he's from here in Esteli, yeah. a good friend of mine. He, he did this amazing painting uh, behind awesome. me here. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I just wanted to have that creative freedom. So, but in order to do that, I had to start much smaller than I, you know, would have hoped in an ideal you know, situation, but for me that, you know, it's better to start brick by brick. Absolutely. So a few things, um, want to talk about all the different brands that foundation, um, has in their lineup. But before we do that, I want to say that we are smoking the wise man Maduro Robusto. Nice. And this has been, I got the world Wednesday. Oh. I was smoking. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's all, it's all good, brother. I mean, this, this, so uh, from, from, from jump, I mean, from, from, from Wednesday to the wise man to everything in between, but this, this wise man, this Maduro, when Mm. it, when it first hits, it blew my mind. Yep. I mean, and it's, it, it, even when, um, you know, back in my blind man's puff days, that was cigar of the year for yes for 2017 yes and i mean it just and it it hit number three on cigar aficionado it hit so many lists i think it even hit number one on the half wheel consensus yeah it did did. so i mean um that obviously you already were you know starting to there was there was flow there was momentum and then wise man maduro hits and it just it just increases like crazy so yeah did you have any did you have any learning curves any pitfalls anything that came along the way that you know when when things really started to click and started to pop that you you know had to make decisions along the way say okay we got to change this or change that just to make sure that we stay like you said that you keep the company philosophy in the direction that you want it to be yeah, I mean, you're always shifting. You you mean just in in general, or just like with the brands themselves, or well, just so that so that you didn't have to compromise the like you said the um, 
the 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 freedom and the control over over everything that was going on with the brands, with the blends, making sure you had the materials, the rollers, all that stuff. Yeah, no, no, I've been fortunate. You know, again, the 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 pillar is having access to the tobacco, right? So that I mean, that's number one, and I've just been fortunate to be able to you know develop great relationships, and then also you know I'm very involved with the crops and different crops from, of course, the valley, Connecticut. Um, so the you know the first year before starting the company, as I was developing Wawense, you know I was also keeping active in in tobacco and working with different farmers from you know or around the world, of course Nicaragua also. Um, so, you know, no, I mean, I, I knew I wanted to start with an all Nicaraguan blend and then again, working the retail shops, you know, I really wanted to develop that a portfolio for all different palettes. Everybody likes something, especially if you've, you know, been in a store or worked in a store or humidor, you can get so many people from so many different walks of life. You know, that's yeah. the other amazing thing about the cigar industry. So you get people from all walks of life and then they, Mm-hmm. They have all have different palettes. Um, yeah. And I like things at different times, you know, oh, yeah, I, I like as a cigar lover, tobacco lover, you know, again, to me, one, something's not necessarily better or, you know, than another thing. Tobacco characteristics and, and properties, what makes them better or worse is quality consistency, you know, construction. And um, so I wanted to put together a portfolio from price, different price ranges to flavor profiles that geared to anybody that's coming through that, that humidor. Right. You know, so, um, you know, wise man Maduro was just, just a progression from the Wednesday, you know, yin and yang, um, you know, so. It just sort of naturally came to be Mexico, San Andreas. Yeah. You know, that's the wrapper on the wise man, Maduro, one of my favorite, mm. you know, tobaccos in the world. Yep. Um, and I traveled many years to, you know, San Andreas and working with different farmers and purchasing leaf. And uh, um, yeah, that, that, that wrapper leaf is just a lot of grand theft auto, a lot of, <laughs> of grand theft auto. Mm-hmm. 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 So we've got a, a comment question from one of our local guys, Tim Tubbs, who wants to know, Tim. how is that railroad tie ashtray doing? We have no idea. I have what no idea what about. that reference is. We're hoping how we is know. his railroad tie ashtray doing? Tim, I wish I knew what I, you were talking about. Understand. Are you messing with me, Tim? He might be. How is he us. Should I know this one? <laughs> oh, my God. Also, I probably should know what liger. he's talking about. What's that? How is your pet liger? Nothing. Liger. I'm just I'm I'm giving you more <laughs> stuff that doesn't make any sense. You know, he's I going wish off he the would rail. elaborate. I wish he would elaborate. I'm All right, like, Tim, tell us. Yeah, I got like I got two terabytes here, <laughs> and then the rest of it's on the cloud. Sometimes well, it takes a little time. Something I want to know, Nick, is you know, being from a, you know, from Connecticut in the, with, uh, you know, family history in, in Connecticut Broadleaf, what, um, when, and you decided, you know, way Wednesday was coming to market, 
Did you catch any flack from anybody about the fact that you that your first cigar out of the gate was all Nicaraguan and didn't have any Connecticut? I heard some whisperings of this, like, and um, I mean, like the family members or friends. You know, I, oh, I was curious if you got any flack from anybody no. about that. No, I, I mean, I think being from Connecticut, but everybody, you know, knew my connection to Nicaragua and knows my connection to Nicaragua. So they had to deal with, I had to put them through a lot, you know, so they, they, they knew. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Um. So I've, yeah. I know that you have a great affinity and, and love for, um, for Rastafari culture and art. Can you tell me where that, how did that, how did that build in you? Where, where did you develop a, a love for that culture? And if you could say that in a Rastafari accent, that would be the best. <laughs> he, his foundation is in the holy mountains. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, it's interesting because it actually goes hand in hand with my history in the cigar industry. So 96, you know, I just graduated high school. You know, you're in high this school, this school system for so long from when you're real little. And then all of a sudden it's over. So, you know, I remember that summer. And again, a lot of questions. But um, some of my favorite cigars early on were from Kingston, Jamaica. You know, people don't realize in, you know, Jamaica is making some of the best cigars in the world. And their history for making you know, cigars goes way back before cannabis was even on the island. Yeah. But, you know, Macanudo in 1995, 96 was no cellophane, you know, Connecticut shade from the valley made in Kingston, Jamaica in the C. Fuentes factory. Yeah. Uh, Royal Jamaica, Temple Hall. So at the same time, you know, my love for cigars and I was just getting into cigars, you know, my two two good friends of mine started listening a lot to reggae music. Mm. And then my brother had brought home a CD, a Bob Marley CD legend one day. <laughs> and it was just kind of over at that point. It just sort of became my, for me personally, like my, it's my gospel music. Cause I really started to get into, you know, the roots of, of reggae is, is really, you know, spiritual music when you get down to yep. the roots of it. I mean, yeah, absolutely. People have, uh, you know, and I was totally anti, you know, uh, cannabis and all that, you know, at the time, because I felt people weren't really listening to what this music w- was saying. And, um, you know, I started really looking into the history and it really, you know, if you look at the history of humanity, I was reading the Bible in, uh, in uh, literature class in uh, university I was also studying what was going on in the Rift Valley. So the Bible talks about the Garden of Eden being Ethiopia as one of the places. The first bones in humanity, all of the hominid species, Homo sapiens have been found in the Rift Valley. So that was like, that was really interesting to me. So here we have physical bones. Here you have a book saying that this was... You know, and then you start looking when I grew up, all I knew about this area was starvation. Yeah. But if you go back through the history, it's one of the oldest kings and queendoms in Ethiopia. It goes back to Solomon and Sheba. So this just sort of opened my world. And then, you know, National Geographic started 
really getting into the study of, you know, all different peoples throughout the earth and studying their mitochondrial DNA. So their mother's DNA. And it was able, they were able to trace everyone back to this one common, common root, common origin. And to me, it was just kind of fascinating getting into the history, the science, all it's all pointing to this kind of one common origin. And uh, it's fascinating to me that it's just not kind of, kind of common knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, I just, you know, continued kind of on that path of, you know, learning more about it. Well, yeah. and I love the fact that, you know, the, the origins of, you know, uh, that region in Ethiopia and to kind of wrap everybody in the kind of father of Ethiopia, his name was Ras Tafari. And that is where we get Rastafari, um, both a people group and a a religion, a faith. And um, so I I, I love that you went there, man, and and totally went in deep and and learned about it. It's a beautiful culture, beautiful people. Yeah. So in the the 1930, Rastafari was crowned king Haile Selassie. So he was the the last of the Ethiopian, the communist took over in 1974 and sort of destroyed everything. So from 1974 to 3000 years, you have this lineage of kings and yeah. queens um, that go back to the time of, you know, Solomon and Sheba. Yeah. Love and, it. Uh, yeah. So I implore you. So in Jamaica, you know, Rasta's, you know, really took to this because in, you know, 1930, here you have, you know, colonialism, you know, you have a very, very much you know, Christianity that's based in, you know, colonial England. And in the 30s, there was the crowning of this king, this black king in Ethiopia. So he became a very, very much uh, a god to many. Yep. You know, yeah. And that's where that that's where Rastafari really that, that comes from. And you've tied that into, you know, into a few uh, into a few of your different brands, you know, from the artwork to the, the stories to, to the, you know, the presentation, you know, the, the tabernacle, especially Mm. Uh, tell us about that artwork that's on the, that's on the tabernacle. Yep. Yeah. So one of the most uh, amazing things about Ethiopia is they claim to possess the Ark of the covenant. Mm -hmm. So this goes back to the time of the queen of Sheba went to seek the Solomon of uh, uh, the knowledge of Solomon. And she traveled to Jerusalem and they had a son named Menelik, which means the son of the wise man. And it said that he brought the ark back to Ethiopia. You know, I was always an Indiana Jones lover. So it was interesting. That's in Egypt where they have it set. But if you keep going down the Nile, you'll get to the real, the real place. Yeah. Um, But you know, I was actually reading another book in Nicaragua. I was here, you know, uh, some years back, and I was reading a book called uh, Historia del Nuevo Mundo, The History of the New World, by an Italian map maker called Girolamo Benzoni. So Benzoni traveled through the Caribbean and Central America in 1550. So at one point, he travels through Nicaragua. And he observed tobacco. So this is really, for me, is one of the most unbiased accounts of what was happening in Central America and the Caribbean in 1550. And being my travelers, 
you know, myself, I really took to this book. But there's a part where he observes tobacco and he says, the only two people are using it, the indigenous and the Ethiopians that came from Africa. So at wow. that point, I said, okay, there is a connection, yeah. you know, of bringing that together. And, and to me, you know, the tabernacle is the resting place of the, the it's a moving, you know, uh, the, the tabernacle is, you're able to move it, right? To me, yeah. that box, you know, cigars for me, you're really something sacred. And, you know, my humidor was always really something sacred to me. Everybody that has a humidor, they know, you know, you treat, yeah. you treat them nice, you keep them right. And um, yeah, and I just always really wanted to use that, that imagery, the images of Haile Selassie when he was crowned king in mm. 1930. Yeah. And um, there was uh, a French photographer who, who photographed um, in 1930, uh, National Geographic does a does a great piece, um, yep. but the imagery was always very powerful, and so I, I just kind of wanted that imagery to be out there, even if people you know can understand it at different levels. To me, the imagery is really striking. And then when you know uh, Thief and I, my art director, we worked on the bands. You know, when they just came out, they just we were just they came out better than we could have ever hoped. So it. It just, you know, Thief and I, my art director, we have a lot of similar, um, you know, interests and, and likes in music and, and culture. And, yeah. you know, we just work really naturally together. Um, and he's just an amazing artist. He's been doing really since six ninety seven. Um, you know, before it was really a thing in, uh, you know, really yeah. the, the art and, kind of cigar world and um yeah he's just been like my my best friend over the years and uh we just it's amazing to see the projects and how they evolve and you know yeah I'm, i think absolutely. i'm gonna release that one time so you guys can see like how will wednesday how this started and then evolved into to this which is love it. Cool. well and you you mentioned um menelik you know, son of wise yeah. man. And that was a, that was for, for a while you had that as an event only cigar. And now if I'm not mistaken, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a more of a full release. Um, and I got, it's to try a that. Yeah, quarterly, we do quarterly, quarterly release. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to try that for the first time recently, uh, and absolutely loved it. Um, tell me when you, you know, when you put together a blend, do you, do you gear the blend toward the subject matter of the name? You know, do, does the blend say strength or power or or nuance or something like that? Or or uh, is the blend does the blend simply come off as uh, you, you work on putting a blend together? You come up with one that, you know, is really awesome and fits a profile that you didn't necessarily have in your in your portfolio before. But then you've also got some some names and some artwork ready to go, and you say, okay, this is going to be the name for this cigar, this blend that we came up with. Kind of like naming a baby. Yeah. You know, it is. You know, the tabernacle, yeah, it just sort of, yeah, it just, I don't know. It just sort of kind of happened. I knew I wanted to do that broadleaf because I wanted it to be something special because it's Connecticut broadleaf. And, you know, again, every one of these brands and blends is really me paying homage to something really important in my life um but again the tobaccos i'm always starting with the first in 
inspiration, like Will Wednesday, I knew I wanted to do an all Nicaraguan blend. So yeah. you know, what, what better to complement an all Nicaraguan blend than the most important cultural, you know, the heart and soul of the culture of Nicaragua. And especially for that one being my first project, you know, the root of culture is language. So hence I couldn't, you know, come in and say the, you know, just in English for the first project, but, you know, so it, it, I don't know if I'm answering your question. No, Um, that's great. Absolutely. And I imagine there were some people who turned, who kind of turned to you and said, so your first cigar out of the gate, you're going to call it what now? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Of course. You know, and I, and you know, it's, uh, I knew from, you know, being in business school, of course, that, but that's not what it was about. You know, especially with, with connoisseurs and cigar lovers and, you know, yeah. with you guys is to like what, what it's all about for me. And that's, it is just like this passion and love for this industry. You know, I've had it from, you know, the very beginning um just the experience so um you know for me it was important to represent for the nicaragüenses for nicaragua like for me you know uh nicaragua i'm italian but this is you know people down here using it you know it's a is a big deal that i take very very seriously and um i wanted to make sure i represented to the fullest of that you know and Having Alex, you know, Thief was my art director, you know, he's from Esteli. So, you know, having him there, of course, he makes it real in, in, in that sense. But having his like and him, you know, being passionate about it also. Yeah. It just made, you know, sense for me. Yeah. Um, and then, as you can see, as the lines progress, you know, you Charter Oak. Charter Oak is is my homage to Connecticut. It's a cigars, you know, all my grandparents, great grandparents, there was tons of Connecticut brands, you know, there used to be cigar brands all, you know, in every, every city in town, everybody, you know, everybody was making cigars at one point, but in Connecticut, because of the Valley, you had factories in New Haven, in Hartford. Um, it's just all these brands kind of faded at the end of the nineties. You still, uh, Chris Topper who makes Topper cigars out of Connecticut, his family's been doing it, but a lot of the other families, um, just sort of at the end of the nineties, they sort of faded away and Connecticut cigars were always amazing cigars at amazing prices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that was that, that was your everyday cutting the lawn, you know, the old time Connecticut's that they always got, they're chewing on them. Yeah. You know, some of yeah. them don't even light them anymore. Yeah. yeah. They just. But uh, you know, being a cigar smoker myself, you know, talking to different guys, you know, that can't, can't break the bank every time. Um, you know, that was my everyday homage to, to Connecticut and the charter Oak is the symbol of, of Connecticut, um, yeah. which is an actual, uh, tree that they hid the charter in Connecticut from the British from, um, and the tree goes back to, you know, the Mohawk days. It was, it was highly revered, um, in the Valley amongst the indigenous tribes. Hmm. So can you uh do you know the history of tobacco coming into Connecticut? 
kind of yeah i mean it was it was always in connecticut so the connecticut river um you know the connecticut connecticut means alongside the great tidal river that's that's the meaning of the word i believe in mohawk um so the connecticut river 406 miles long so trading of tobacco had been going on and i believe it was the dutch uh, um adrian block who they actually name an island in long island sound called block island was one of the first Dutch explorers that was traveling up the Connecticut river and the Connecticut river goes all the way to Canada, Hmm. you know? So this was one of the main thoroughfares of really seeing tobacco for the first time being traded. And then it really wasn't until, um, 1630s that Connecticut was really starting to be, you know, uh, established. Mm-hmm. as a as colonies from you know the dutch and then the english and it was about 1650s in windsor connecticut which is north of harford that's where we have our office our our offices in the heart of the connecticut river valley in windsor connecticut this was the first area where you know tobacco was started to be you know really grown in crops yeah and started to be rolled you know and and pretty much like homesteads um and then the seed development sort of, you know, started. There was different varieties of tobacco, and then you had different seeds coming from, um, you know, different areas. And um, eventually, you have the development of, uh, you have the evolution of broadleaf, Cuban seed in the Connecticut River River Valley in the 1800s. Yeah. And then the creation of Connecticut Shade in 1901. You know, Connecticut Shade, which we all know. Um, you know, in, 19, in the eight, late 1800s, Sumatra, the Dutch were in Indonesia in Sumatra and they were growing Sumatra seed and it was just killing it as far as wrapper tobaccos. Yeah. The yield, you know, you had the jungles there, so it was getting a filter of light. It wasn't getting a lot of light, so you were getting a nice thinner wrapper grade tobacco yeah. that was coming out of Sumatra and it just started really destroying Cuban seed that was in Connecticut, Connecticut broadleaf, you know, broadleaf's heavy, it's thick, it's got a heavier vein structure. You don't get the yields that you get from a lighter, thinner, you know, uh, wrapper style plant. Broadleaf yeah. is almost more like a binder style tobacco. Um, and the Cuban seed was also difficult. So the Department of Agriculture actually took broadleaf, Cuban seed, and Sumatra and hybridized them, which gave birth to what we know as Connecticut shade. Hmm. Huh. Wow. Okay. I love that gave it. Bir- and then this was grown and mimicked a uh, brilliant human being. I forgot his name. Al Gore. Certainly <laughs> mimic, you know, the, the jungles of Sumatra and, you know, Connecticut shade is, is world famous. Unfortunately, a lot of it's gone to Ecuador because the seeds really taken to in Ecuador because of the cloud cover in Ecuador. Yeah, it acts as a natural filter. So um, production, you know, uh, production of Connecticut shade in the valley has kind of gone down. Excuse me. Um, But um, broadleaf and, you know, Cuban seed, we we can't grow enough broadleaf right now. um, Yeah. It just can't be mimicked. So that Connecticut River used to be a lake called Lake Hitchcock. That was after the last glacier period. So it came down to a lake and then to a river. When the lake bed 
started going down that river. It left 30, it sort of funneled this sandy loom soil lake bed into the north of Hartford. So there's this 30,000 acre just paradise for growing cigar tobacco that was left, you know, in yeah. the north of north of Hartford. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, come to uh, How About That Cigar for uh, Tobacco and uh, World <laughs> History. <laughs> I, I love it. No, that's that's great. I honestly, I had I had no idea about the uh, the the hybridizing of those three strains I together. That's that's a great story. I love that. Yeah. Um, so then also you've got um, in the portfolio you've got the High Clare Castle, and which is which is such a, um, you know, there it is, and it's it's uh, that's a cigar that is that is uh, uh, refined, elegant. Tell us about that blend, or those two blends, actually. Yeah, so the um, the Edwardian, which is the Connecticut, very, very elegant, smooth. You know, that's a, a lighter, creamier blend. You know, something I, I would like more. You know, for me, I definitely lean towards heavier, fuller-bodied stuff, but enjoy uh, a lighter-bodied cigar. But it's got to have flavor. Um so the, the the Connecticut shade, which is deceiving about it, is the binder is Matafina Brazil, one of my favorite tobaccos, which is a darker, more Maduro style uh, for the binder. So that that binder enables me to use some filler tobaccos that are a little bit heavier. So, you know, it doesn't become too strong. So, for example, if you take like Connecticut shade and you put it on a tabernacle, it's going to be really aggressive because the Connecticut shade is really thin. Yeah. The vein structure is thin. It's not going to buffer the strength of say a tabernacle blend, which is a heavier, you know, Viso Lijero style blend. I like it. Um, so the broadleaf helps bring that together. Um, the <laughs> Connecticut shade on the, on the high Claire, the binder, you know, I, I always say that Connecticut shade is like the, the evening gown, very elegant, <laughs> Nice to look look at that binder is that uh, black Victoria secret. It's not appropriate. Can we on the podcast? No, say that. Say you broke up a little. Say that part oh, again because yeah. I want to hear that. Can we swear on this podcast? Of course, totally. go for it. Oh, okay. I was saying the Connecticut shade on the high clear is like the elegant evening gown. Very nice to look at. You know, just beautiful. The Binder Matafina is like the Victoria's Secret black lace, and it's holding all the good stuff together. <laughs> um, and the filler, the fillers there. So it's it's a milder bodied. I always say body is almost like skim milk and cream, or half and half. So it's yeah. definitely on that lighter body, but a lot of flavor. Yeah. Um, and this high clear, you know, again, you talk about just these stories. You know, it sounds like I'm making them up sometimes, but. High Clare is another, you know, brand in the portfolio that just sort of happened kind of naturally. A friend of mine is a um, in the alcohol business. He was brewing uh, moonshine in Connecticut. He befriended Lord and Lady Carnarvon at High Clare Castle. They became really good friends. They started working on a gin together called High Clare Castle Gin, which is just being distributed throughout the country as we speak. During those discussions, my buddy said, you got to meet Nick because cigars had come up. Cigars in Highclere Castle go hand in hand. 
you know, uh, Highclere Castle is where they filmed Downton Abbey. Yeah. If you see from the first episode of Downton Abbey, at the end when they they leave dinner, cigar smoking. Yeah. So um, my buddy said, you got to meet Nick. You know, he lives in Nicaragua a lot of his time. Lord Carnarvon ended up flying to Nicaragua with a to off and can you hear me there you go yeah you did break up it's that nicaraguan internet connection (laughs) (laughs) um so so yeah so lord carnarvon came to nicaragua and uh, tapped me to to blend a cigar for high clear castle so um yeah the high clear edwardian was born and we just launched the Highclere Victorian, which is the red box here, which I just showed you. Yeah. And this is a, you know, more than that medium to medium plus. Uh, I wanted to make something to complement the Connecticut shade. Uh, so Habano Ecuador is the wrapper on the Highclere Victorian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big fan of, High, of uh, Habano Ecuador. Yeah. Mm. Been working with it behind the scenes for a long, long time. Never really came out with a product that has the Habano Ecuador. So uh, for me, it just fit perfect with, with high clear and um, you know, the blend that I wanted to make for it. Right. Uh, Is that the so some... coming uh, in more short supply than in years past? Which one? The, the Habano Ecuador? Yeah. It's been, it's been steady. Um, okay. You know, definitely every year you have, you have crop issues um, depending on the weather, but, um, fortunately I know some, some good growers yeah. there that have a, have a good supply. And I work with, um, Abdel, AJ Fernandez Yeah, and, uh, AJ who? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> a, yeah, I never heard of the guy. Before. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, just working with him and his t- tobacco inventories, you know, we just, when we get around tobacco, it's, it's. You know, yeah. I can spend d- days with him, and he's just all passion. Yeah, dude. So. Yeah, and I would love to nerd out with uh, you and AJ at some point. I know his English isn't the best. We would need a translator. It's for fun, sure. man. But uh, he's, I would love yeah. to get in his, you know, and just listen to you guys go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean his operation and his. I mean, his farms, you know, one of the farms uh, I used to live on and he, when I first moved to Nicaragua, it's called Soledad, um, which is about four kilometers north of Esteli. And um, yeah, which is, I use, I use a lot of tobacco from, from that farm. It's pretty, pretty large and uh, it's amazing what he's done. I mean, just curing barns, literally moving mountains and, uh, yeah, it's just a real pleasure to work with somebody that has so much passion for the industry and for tobacco. Absolutely. Um, well, actually, that um, that makes for a really good segue. Yep. Because we're going to go into our next segment, which we call Smokabulary. And we have a new sponsor on the show, and they sponsor Smokabulary, and it is AJ Fernandez. Oh, wow. 
So, born and How raised ironic. in Cuba, A.J. Fernandez now produces unparalleled premium cigars in Esteli, Nicaragua. The day-to-day operations at Tabacalera A.J. Fernandez are managed under the watchful eye of Mr. A.J. Fernandez himself in order to ensure superior quality. The A.J. Fernandez portfolio of premium cigars provides blend, strength, and flavor profiles to match the preferences mm. of any premium cigar consumer. Whether it's New mm. World, Dios de Gloria, San Lotano, Enclave, mm. or Bayas Artes, you are sure to be satisfied with a premium cigar from AJ Fernandez. So moving into our smokabulary word for January 14th, 2020. Today's smokabulary word is primings. Primings. And we are grateful primings. to have somebody who knows a thing or two about tobacco on the show. And Nick has been kind enough to uh, give us a short rundown on what the word primings means when it comes to premium cigars. So generally speaking, depending, of course, on different crops, primings is when you going through the fields normally, you know, at 55 days, we start to top the plant. So especially for filler tobaccos. So what we're doing is we're removing the flower. So now the energy is going into the leaves. Mm -hmm. So after that mood of three leaves depending at the state you really got to you know know the plant and know the leaves but generally two or three leaves from the bottom priming which is the lower part of the plant right some people okay. say so that's the leaves that are closest to the ground closest to the ground yeah okay. so that will be depending on the farmer too and who's you know where the tobacco is intended for that will be your first priming and then from that point, you will wait another six to eight days and then remove the next priming. Okay. Two, three leaves. Then you'll go up to the next priming. So depending on the plant, like say in Ecuador or where you have that cloud cover, you're growing really tall plants, especially the Connecticut shade plants. They can get up to nine, ten primings. Oh, wow. Whereas, yeah. Whereas more for filler primings here, you might have more three primings or, or four primings. So it depends. But priming is that act of removing, um, you know, three leaves and working your way up the plant. Okay. And it's a way to direct so, the nutrients, right, to the leaves that you want. Yeah. So the plant wants to flower, right? So yep. all the energy, it's growing towards the sun. Yep. Um, of course, the root system and the soil, you know, r- really important. But it's growing to the sun. So once you top the flower, you're starting to get the energy going to the leaves more. Mm-hmm. And when you prime the first priming, now then everything is going to go to the next. Because what you're, we're looking for, especially in filler tobaccos, is we want to get you know, a lot of sh- more strength mm-hmm. and flavor and body yeah. um, to the plant. That's what makes Nicaragua so amazing is because from the lower primings to your upper primings, lower primings, you have your thinner, lighter tobacco, generally speaking. In middle, you have your medium strength. And then the top in your ligeros, you have your strong. So Nicaragua, it's amazing because the diversity of strength and body and flavor from the lower leaves to the upper primings. Yeah. Is in, is incredible. So you get a, I mean, you get a huge amount of diversity from from a single crop of tobacco leaves. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, and then you add in you know seed varieties and different. Whereas other country countries, generally speaking, 
you know, their top primings might be the same strength level as Nicaragua's middle primings. And is there you anything know? done with those clippings that are being removed or are those just discarded? No, um, no, you're, cause you're just removing the flower oh, yes, and then you will, the flower. yeah, you're just removing the flower, but you're also will remove, you know, what we call sand leaves or leaves that are really not taking early on. Sure. So you don't want to leave those little sand suckers, we call them, because then they're going to start sucking all the energy out of the, you know, the, the leaves that you really want to concentrate on. Okay. So you will clean the plant. So, you know, they're focused on giving you the healthiest, yeah. you know, oilier, you know, tastier, tastier leaves. Nice. So there you go, guys. There is uh, there is your quick primer on primings this uh-huh. week on how about see what I did there. Yeah, I did. <laughs> how about that cigar? Um, so now Dude. let's move into let's move into um, one of my favorite segments every week. Numero, Numero de los muertos. Dios mío. Um, all right. So hey, this week we're gonna we're gonna give something away to the person that guesses that or. If it's Matt or Nick that that guess this number, um, we're gonna have Nick um, pick a random number and uh, we'll we'll figure it out. But this week's number is 150. Globally, people die from this yearly. Yearly. So every year, 150 people around the world die from this. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Uh, do I have to guess this? We we just if, it's we kind of play twenty questions with it. Yep, you do. So okay. you, you can you can throw out guesses. We 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 all do this together. And I and I continue to throw out some hints and things as we go along. Gotcha, gotcha. So I'm going to ask for a hint. Could yeah. you tell me the answer? Um, I'm going <laughs> to go with no. Um. Okay. 150 people. So is it a sickness? It is not an illness. Good question. Yeah, not, not an illness. Okay, is it uh, um, allergy? No, nothing medical. Nothing medical. Okay. Is, nothing medical. Is it uh, criminal? It is not criminal. Okay, is mm. it uh, adults, kids, or both? Everybody. 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 Um, is it concentrated to a particular area of the globe? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, does it occur on land or water? Land. Land. Um, are, are animals other than humans involved in causing the deaths? Can be. They can be. Wait, animals are, can be, okay. But usually not. Usually not. Usually not. Is it, is it typically accidental? Yes. Yes. Hmm. Slipping around the pool. I got to put this comment on the screen. Matt Trenda, I love okay. you. I, I hate you and I love you. Listening to Matt do a commercial. That, that, is- that, can, that, that, has, been, that has been known to cause death. Has, I, I appreciate yeah. that comment, Matt. Uh, Thank you. Me, many, many times. No. Uh, not shark attacks. Okay, Jim said shark attacks. It's not shark attacks. Not shark hmm. attacks. Um. So I'm going to go and uh, give a give a, a clue here. Yeah, let's get a clue. This um, happens while uh, most of the time people die while doing an activity. An activity. An activity. Is it uh, is it 
is it an activity that somebody does on some type of vehicle? Uh, no. So it's not Usually a car not. or a bicycle or Mm-mm. swimming. Nope, not in the water. This is uh, right. this is land. Uh, not skydiving. Trenda says skydiving, not skydiving. Is it mountain climbing? No, but you're starting to get warm. I'm warm. Hang gliding. Uh, it is not sex. It's not sex. Jim said sex. That's we know what we know what is on Jim's mind. <laughs> um, Fred says parachute doesn't open. Is that it? It is not it. Fred Russo. That's my man, Fred Russo. <laughs> Shout out to Fred, Fred Russo. Fred was the original owner of the Calabash shop where I worked. In. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. M- is Thanks for coming. Wife. To show, yeah. Fred. Um, is it, um, what was this? Uh, falling objects. It is not, it is not falling objects. Um, I bet you Fred is going to guess this one. It is not, uh, bullfighting. Not bullfighting. It is not caves. Not caves. It is, it is, it is not LOL. <laughs> Does it involve like, a, it, you said it involves another animal? No, 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 no. It, so this thing can be, let's say. Let's give another clue here. It can be started by an animal, but it's usually started by people. Oh. Is it is it stampedes? It is not stampedes. Oh, not stampedes. But it's yeah. usually started by people? Yep. Oh, avalanches? It is avalanches. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yep. Um, That's, man. That was a good. That was a good numero de los muertos. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, 150 people on average a year die from avalanches, and uh, serious. This last week, um, there was a, a big avalanche that happened in uh, Utah, where a University of Minnesota um, brain surgeon actually lost her life. Oh, I saw that on the news. Yeah, so that's what uh, brought my uh, my numero de los muertos for okay. this week. Well, uh, Nick, after the show's over, uh, we're going to have you pick a uh, pick a number, and we'll put that in our random number generator, and uh, that'll uh, that'll denote any number one lucky prize winner. Any any number between one and something, we'll figure it out. We'll figure out how many we people have to, we have to see how many comments we have. Yep. So sounds good. Um, so that was uh, this week's numero, numero de, de los, los muertos. muertos. So. Um, Nick, we have a little bit of a lightning round, and these are questions not really oh, related boy. to cigars. These, All are, right. these are questions that are more um, off the cuff and meant to be fun. So, not that cigars aren't fun because we all love cigars, but these are a little, little more uh, interesting. So, if you could choose to hear the thoughts of one living person for 10 minutes, who would it be and why? Oh my God! You guys are serious. <laughs> the li- the thoughts of one living person. Who would it be, and why? Man, that's a tough one. It is a tough question. Last week, I uh, mean, last week was a was a good one. Uh, we had uh, Alan Rubin on, and he said Bill Belichick, which hmm. I think it. So far has been uh, one of my favorites, but uh, yeah. what? Uh, yeah, 
I know it's a I would question, say man. I would say Dave Chappelle, even though he's a comedian, oh, he talks a lot. Love I mean, it. That is a fantastic. I think it would just be funny to yeah. see how his mind works. Absolutely. Abs- I, I love that answer. Because yeah, I mean, he he is as far as I'm considered, he's as far as I'm concerned, he's he's the the best to ever do it. Yeah. And he's pretty talented. He's pretty smart. Yeah. He is brilliant. I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Great answer. This is, yeah, it would be interesting. So so Nick, if you were about to get into a fight, what soundtrack music would come on? What soundtrack would come? Um, I mean, is it Mom said knock you out, LL Cool J. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. I love that. No, yeah. I was thinking it might be some uh, so, some reggae, but reggae is about peace and love. So that's true. You know, or you can get you know you can get Zen on them in the reggae. Yeah, that's true. You know? But little Peter that was the first. Peter. That's the first one that got me. <laughs> I like it. Well, I said, "Knock you out." I'm gonna knock you out. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, choose choose one of the following. You could hit a home run as a starting pitcher. You could score a touchdown as a defensive lineman, or you could score a goal as a hockey goalie. Uh, last one, goalie. Yeah, that's a pop. I used to play hockey when I was, you know, really young in the pond in the backyard. Yeah, I used to play goalie a lot. So it's a thankless job. Isn't playing goalie, it's a thankless job. It's a it's tough. I mean, I was really young when I was playing in the backyard, but yeah. you know, we, you know, and I don't, I don't watch too much hockey, but yeah, I would say hot goalie. Nice. I love it. Um, so, um, back to, um, cigar related, but more, um, more rapid fire. If you could give one piece of advice to new cigar consumers, what would it be? advice um you know go to your local tobacconist and um oh i have to say one thing yeah one thing man let's see do not put your blue flame against the tobacco Ooh. okay okay torches blue flame on the tobacco too hot too hot too hot. Yeah, this- you know, I think the, yeah, the soft flame, I think you're around, I want to say 800 degrees. Whereas when you get into those blue flames, you're in, I think more in that 2,800 yeah, yeah. kind of range. And, um, you know, and it's, it's, you could do it by, yeah. Yeah. You can't you even hold that. You feel the heat start way up high and you can feel the heat. Yeah. So, I mean, it's amazing how far away you can light your cigar using one of those. It really things. is. And oh, take, right. take your time, take your time with it. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely take your time with it. You're right. I see some people uh, toasting their cigar like they're trying to melt steel, you know, and it's like. <laughs> so. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Like put it close. I toast a lot. Like don't lend me your lighter because. <laughs> I will use all of your butane, but it, that blue flame is never, it's never touching the tobacco. Okay. Um, you know, ever. Don't touch yeah. tips. Don't with, touch. It just, to me, it changes the flavor profile, you know, because you're burning it so hot. And yeah. We were talking about this before 
in just different areas, you know, being out in Las Vegas for the trade show a lot, you know, the moisture content in the air, it's a whole different cigar smoking experience if that cigar starts to dry out, you know. It's going to oh, smoke yeah. hot. It's going to yep. smoke maybe fast. So same thing with the flame, you know, a lot of times. You do not – you want to take your time with it, especially with, you know, puffing too fast or, you know, heating it up too fast. It, it definitely changes the dynamics of what the blends are intended to be. Okay. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Um, so if you could give one piece of advice to cigar retailers, brick-and-mortar cigar retailers, what would it be? Retailers. Um, let's see. That's a good question, too. I would say to try not to create an environment that's intimidating at all to consumers. I see sometimes it's, it's intimidating for people that, you know, are maybe newer to smoking cigars or don't go into cigar shops a lot. You know, you walk into a humidor, there's so much in the humidor. Um, I think sometimes guys behind the counter might tend to, you know, they know maybe a little bit more, they're really into it. So I think it's just really important, you know, not to, to kind of create some sort of, you know, intimidating vibe or, you know, feeling, um, and just to make it as welcoming as possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Cause, cause for me, you know, there's so much to learn and it's a constant learning process with cigars and, you know, I can see it sometimes guys are, you know, especially newer smokers, it's, they're just automatically intimidating without anybody ever intimidating them. They come in already, you know, kind of intimidated. So, um, I think it's important for the industry, you know, and to, for, for smokers in the industry, that experience is crucial. You know, that experience of coming into the cigar shop that can totally determine whether someone's going to, come back or continue maybe smoking cigars um yeah. mm-hmm. so i think that's that's really important absolutely um so there's been a lot of news you know this week around uh, uh the pca and things like Woo! That. and it's been you know and i'm sure you've been you know going through the you know all the 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 headaches that you have to go through dealing with stuff like that but and and maybe not but if you uh, i've been the- working man i have i've been I've been in tobacco, tobacco fields. Yeah, yeah, you've been actually so I, doing the. I haven't, I haven't given it enough, to, you know, attention and read enough because I've just been, you know, on the grind. But yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. If you could, if you could give one piece of advice to the PCA as an organization, what would yeah. it be? Here, for, for just my perception, and I want to definitely make a disclaimer, you know, starting a business, I knew it was going to be a lot of work. I didn't know it was going to be this much work. So we've been just literally, you know, grinding. So it's been hard for me to give enough attention to, you know, these, these organizations, and they're doing so much good. But with regard to the, the PCA and the trade show, just from my experience, it doesn't seem like it's been clearly they've solved the, the, the root of the problem. And that is what is the incentive for the retailer to go to the trade show? Yeah. Why is someone going to the trade show? Why is someone spending all of this money to then go to the trade show until you solve that key issue and then get people in those aisles? I think that's where, Again, and I haven't read these articles yet. I know people have pulled out 
um, and I haven't gotten to the depth or even read their response um, as to, to how they respond to it. So even though maybe they might be saying it, I don't think that has ever been clearly communicated to, you know, to the retailers. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm doing this TPE show for the first time, um, which is interesting. I just made, you know, last minute decision to go just to check it out. And uh, this is the Tobacco Plus Expo. But, um, you know, they've definitely done a good job in the competition of shows of making that show, you know, very attractive. And, um, yeah, I mean, for, I can't, for, for my perspective as a company, we launched at the PCA, the right. IPCPR. Yeah. You know, um, so, you know, Dion from Illusion gave me part of his booth the first year to launch for Wednesday. Yeah. And, um, you know, if it wasn't for that show, I, I wouldn't be here right now. So right. at the same time, you know, I, I say that um, as far as, you know, just being a newer company. And, um, you know, last year we had a huge trade show. I mean, we, you know, knock on wood, you know, I put my all into that booth. I put my all into that show, um, you know, but I never got preference as far as booth selection and, and you know, stuff like that because I'm a smaller smaller company. But, um, yeah, I guess there's a lot of booths open now. Is there any? The other, rec- the other recommendation, I'm sorry to cut you off. The no, other no, recommendation no. was as far as. Wednesday himself. Hang on. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. You were uh, cutting out there, so I was just oh, going to say, from um, a branding but, perspective, from the PCA, you know, the P- Premium Cigar Association, they have a leaf as the PCA. You know, there's other tobacco organizations, bigger tobacco, that use the leaf. You just named it. Cigar, premium cigar, you made a big statement by saying PCA. The logo should at least have some cigars in it, which I don't think there is. Yeah, so I, I believe it's I, just leaf. On a basic level, I mean, from a branding perspective, sure. communicating a message, I think that that, that was important. But, um, yeah, again, why is the retailer going to the show? Oh, yeah. Am I, if I if I'm already getting the deals already, you know, what is the incentive to go to the show? Yeah. Yep. I don't necessarily know the the exact answer to that, but there should be something to you know motivate you know retailers to come. Yeah. Mm. You know, but it's financial. Uh, you know, how do you lessen the cost? I mean, the cost for me just to set up a booth, it's insanity. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't mind paying double prices and this, but you're getting raked across the the coals, and it's not necessarily the PCA. I mean, and that's the thing. I spend a lot of money on my booth. You know, we had I built two 13 foot pyramids last year for our booth. I don't know if you saw it. You can check out uh, our foundation YouTube channel. We do a nice tour of the booth, but you know, I worked on that all year, um, and. Um, but there is not a lot of people in the aisles, you know? Yeah. And, um, so is there, is there any whispering that's going on within, you know, kind of insider between the blenders and the other guys that you've had a chance to talk to, um, about the PCA and everything that's going on that you can share with us? 
I think everybody um, from down here in Nicaragua yeah, or yeah. just other. I think, you know, everybody's just sort of sitting back and seeing how how this all plays out. Um, you know, because you also got some interesting, you know, you got different interests involved, too, um, from different companies. You have companies that own, you know, huge mass market divisions of machine made product, um, you know, that have their interest, which is, you know, they're 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 business people. I totally, you know, respect other people's businesses, but they have definitely alter ulterior motives to protect, you know, their their larger portion of the business. Um, yeah, I think everybody's just sort of observing to, to see, you know, how, how this plays out. We're definitely going through a huge shift in our industry. Um, it's a very fascinating time. And to be honest with you, I don't really know what to make of all of it. Yeah. You know, well, and it's still, um, like you said, it's still, you know, the, the, the news is still coming out and there's still more that's developing and it's, uh, um, it, we just have to, I, I think, as a as a, as a group uh, that care about this culture and about this industry, I think we just have to keep paying attention to it. And um, I, I guess the question is: Are you, or have you even decided yet? Is Foundation going to be at the PCA this year in July? I haven't even gotten there yet, to be honest with you. I mean, I was already in um, you know booth development because we usually start that rolling. So, yeah. I mean, for me, from a business perspective, you know, I, again, we've been really successful and the show has been really, really good to us. So, um, I definitely have, um, you know, loyalty with the PCA. It's just at the same time as a business owner, I can't go spend all this money, you know, and not have the, the return going to the show. Yeah. Um, you know, it can, it can end up being, and we've just grown every show, which has been great. But if there's retailers that are not going to be showing up, that that becomes a big issue. Right. You know, that's the issue. If I know retailers are showing up, I'm down. Yeah. You know, I'm uh, I'm, I'm ready to go. But you know, that's well, that. I think for me is the main issue that needs to be should be. You know, I don't know how that would be reconciled or solved, yeah. and you know, put people at 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 ease. Right. But um, we definitely need to come together as an industry. It's definitely. just, I don't know. I mean, there's just it's definitely some something that's not getting through. You know, and it, and it was it's tough, man. Because the as you know, two years ago there was a lot of issues with hotels and virus outbreaks, yeah. and then there was fires, and then. <laughs> the date was shifted and yeah. then you have a name change yeah and then you had so it's a lot of the timing of it is uh it's kind of a doozy for yeah. uh you know the pca and um it's tough man because i appreciate all the the work that's being done from pca you know cra and the fights that's being made for um you know the premium cigar industry yeah because it's uh you know, all this FDA stuff is, is, is really insane. It is. It is. And next week, um, so. a week from tonight, we're actually uh, going to talk to Scott Pierce, the executive director of the PCA. He's our, he's our guest on the oh, next awesome. week. And we're very oh, grateful have to, to have him. And, and he's, uh, you know, he's, um, he's got a tough job. No, no 
if ands or buts about it. He's got a very tough job, and he's got mm-hmm. a he's going to have a tough year ahead of him, and as as is the organization as a whole. And you know, we we just want to sit down and talk to him next week, and and um, you know, find out you know how they're um, you know how they are taking what's coming at them and turning it into hopefully something like you said, positive for the industry, positive for the culture that's, that, that works for the retailers and the manufacturers alike. What do you think about it? Like, what do you got? What's your guys' perception on it? Honestly, I would love to know your guys. You, you guys probably know, know more than what I've known at this point. It looks, you know, from my perspective, it looks like um, a shit show. Um, it looks like there's been so many, um, it, it, as you pointed out, there's been a lot of different movement and things, and it looks like there's not a clear direction. And I agree with you a hundred percent of let's look at, you know, the reason why we're bringing in these vendors, look at why we're bringing in, you know, brick and mortar owners and the reps and the whole show um, yeah, it's great to showcase, you know, your stuff in Vegas. There's so many different shows that happen there that, um, uh, that are successful And the PCA, uh, in my opinion should be about not only, um, you know, cigar manufacturers coming out to show their products to, to brick and mortar owners, um, and to, you know, trickle that out through the consumer to the yeah. consumers, Um, But also they have a responsibility for helping to um, educate um, brick and mortar owners, consumers about everything that's going on. And that, you know, goes to lobbying and and a lot of other things. I just think as an organization, they need to get better organized and have a clear sense of direction. And it doesn't look like that has been the case over the last 12 months. Yeah, I, I yeah. 100% with what Garrett said. Um, and I also think that I don't know what it's going to look like, but um, you, you can feel that this this move is pretty massive and the ground is shifting. And I think that not too many years from now, this whole trade show thing whatever you want to call it, PCA trade show, IPCPR, RTDA before that even, I don't think it's going to look in three years like it looks now. And I think five years, seven years, 10 years, I think it's, it, you're not even going to recognize it. If, if you, you know, somebody who goes to the, the show, who went to the show last year versus somebody who goes to the show five years from now, you know, if they take those those years off in between, I don't think they'll even recognize it. Right. Well, whatever we it's going to become. If we don't get our shit together and really start to put dollars to um, good education and lobbying, um, we may not have a PCA IPCPR in the United States anymore. You know, and um, I hate to say that, but if we're not um, really serious about putting good money in good places. Um, you know, every, the momentum of the FDA and everything going on for anti-tobacco, it should scare us with the movement that's been happening in that place. So we need to act as if and um, and and fight. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting because yeah. it's, uh, you know. Because we might be having a lot of it in Toronto. Yeah, and that's where the issue, you know, a lot of the bigger companies, you know, becomes how do you capture dollars? You know, so that's how, you know, at the mm -hmm. RTDA days, it was you only came, you know, got deals at the show. If you right. were present at the show, you know, that's that's and then that line was just has been completely moved over the years where, you know, it's the month before the show, you know, and then people are reps are pressured for numbers and they need to hit numbers. Yeah. Companies are doing the same thing. So then, you know, and of course, the bigger companies have more of the resources and dollars to then try to capture those dollars yeah. from the retailers. And then, you know, the show floor then turned into that, too, is the bigger companies are capturing yep. you as you you come through the door. But nobody ever held the line of like, I don't know how you would do it again. I don't want to you know, I get sometimes it's easy. It's easy to criticize, but it's definitely an issue. You know, the show floor for some of the smaller guys, you get lost. Yeah, you know, oh, for sure. it's not like a, it's not like a mall going to a mall. You have anchor stores here and there. So you have to pass through and get, but who, who are you, who are you going to tell to do that? Right. You know what I mean? Well, that's, and then you started selling advertising dollars, you know, where, you know, I always thought it was interesting, which is cool. I understand the advertising. You want to get advertising, but I don't, you guys are at the show every row, you know, how about like a supermarket, you know, which, you know, it's listed yeah. on the row, everybody that are, what the columns are yeah. or, you know, who's in every, you just get sort of, sort of lost. You know, mm -hmm. I was in the, in the way back and fortunately people come and they search out foundation. Right. You know what I mean? We've been fortunate to have some buzz amongst retailers to get that traffic into the booth. So I, you know, I've been in the back every trade show and we've had one of the busiest booths at the trade show Yeah. for the past four years. Yeah. But you know, but for, I see my uh, compadres, you know, I'm looking through the aisles. I'm looking at other people's booths and, okay. you know, even the booths that were behind me, they get, they got lost yeah. and we were in the, in the, in, in the way back. So I don't know, man, it, it became, you know, and I'm spending all my money on the, on the booth and this, and that's the problem is a lot of my money's not even going to them. Right. Because yep. it's going to the, the venue. you know, people running the show yeah. and the event. Yep. And then, you know, they're coming at me asking me for advertising dollars, which I understand, but I'm putting all my money into the display of the booth, but that doesn't win me any that doesn't win me any points in booth selection or you know, it, it's kind of strange that way, you know. Yeah. One of the advertising guys over there at one point came at me, you know, before the show and I've done, you know, ads with them. I just did a, a nice ad on the recent PCA magazine. I don't know if I have it here, the back, the back cover, which was really nice, but you know, their advertising guy came to me and said, you know, so-and-so put in an ad, you should put in an ad. You know, I said, it was all due respect, man. That person I'm spending 10 times the amount that person's spending on their booth. Right. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like they're getting points for advertising dollars, but that doesn't win me any points, even though I'm putting my all into the booth. So it's, yeah. it's I don't, you know, everybody's watching and seeing what the PCA does. I think <gasps> this year is our make or break year for the PCA. And 
obviously we've had some big companies that have pulled out and they're going to be watching. The entire industry is going to be watching what the PCA does. I think uh, they've got, you know, proverbial two strikes. They've got one strike left um, to, you know, pitch it down the middle and, and hopefully hit a home run. And we want to help them do it. Yeah. You know, we we do. Um, So same, same. Well, it's interesting, Nick, that you use the, the, the shopping mall analogy. That's the exact analogy I, I yep. uh, that came to my head. The as soon as I heard the news, that was the first thing that came to my head. And I told Coop about it, and uh, some other people that I know, you know, in in cigar media about it. And it's uh, I don't. It's think, a tough position to be in because how do you totally solve it? And then how you because you got the big companies that are spending all this money, and then you got an advertising cone, yep. you know, whole structure that you're trying to run, but it, it wasn't. You gotta. It's the tough thing is look at it as a whole as to what is the best for the whole thing to drive traffic to this show. Right. Uh, um, that's the key. I mean, I again, I don't have an exact plan, so you know, it's easy for me to say that. But it, how? I mean, you know, pay for retailers to come, make a certain price break for. I don't. You know, they they got to make it worth it. Right. You know, the retailers got to see the incentive to why they're going to go spend five grand and everything's, uh, you know, 20 times the price in Las Vegas, especially if you're in the strip. So, you know, you're coming out of your store, you're leaving the store, maybe for the weekend. Weekend is a time where people are coming into stores. Yeah. You know, and then you're spending all this money. So you got to make it up in deals mm-hmm. and purchases and what, you know, it's a business at the um, end of the day. You got to be able to justify the means. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got to do that. They have to, PCA has to do it. I have to do, everybody's in business to do that. And I think that's the issue is like a lot of people, like I want to support the, the PCA all the time. I want to be in there, but you also have, it has to be, you know, uh, that's what the trade show is about is people yep. going to the trade show. Yeah. That's crucial. If you had yeah. a question for Scott Pierce, you know, I know you said you want to tune into the show next week. Awesome. I hope you can make it. If you can't, what would a question or a comment that you have for Scott B? I would I would love to know the, his answer to that. You know, what is the incentive for the retailer to go through the show? Yeah, mm. not from a ph- philosophical or a, a, like I understand that we need to get him from from an economical standpoint. I would imagine that's what the stores are thinking. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's what maybe needs to be done too. Is Talking to the stores, surveying the stores, communication with the stores. What do you need? What what can and maybe again they're they're doing a lot of this stuff. Maybe with emails and this and I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that feedback it would be crucial, and that's the tough thing about this situation. You're going to have to really be able to look at it hard and yeah. have some honest discussions about the main issues to me yep. that's the main issue so yeah how well, are you incentivizing people to get to the show i appreciate that and we will yep. definitely bring that question up to him next week when we talk to him it's uh, i will try to tune in for that yeah thank um, you it's it's uh, a tough situation all across the board you know there's the the industry has to has to come together in some way shape or form uh because you know we're sadly we have I hate to use this sort of term, but we have a common enemy, you know, and that's regulation, uh, over-regulation. And, and, and um, we have to 
if if we don't work together as an industry, as a culture, to fight against that overregulation, then our days are numbered, unfortunately. And we mm-hmm. don't. None of us want that. None of us want yep. that. We want we want for you know consenting adults to be able to join in this culture together and 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 enjoy these these wonderful premium cigars from all these different companies and. Uh, because in in the end, it it uh, you know it's these it's it's these tobacco leaves that bring us together in some in some way that um, with without it, I, I think the world would be a, a lesser place. Yep, most definitely, most so, definitely. Um, well, let's count on that. Let's uh, let's uh, transition uh, and talk about our notable smokables for the week. Um, uh, this is where we talk about cigars that that we've enjoyed over the past week or 10 days or so uh, that uh, we enjoy, whether they're new, old, anything in between, just something that uh, we um, wanted to talk about. I uh, Garrett was kind enough to give me, because I hadn't had it before, this cigar that won this year's Cigar Aficionado Cigar of the Year, uh, the Aging Room nice. Quattro Nicaragua Maestro, uh, a blend from Rafael Nodal and A.J. Fernandez. Mm-hmm. And um, my I, I never like going off of one sampling of a cigar i always like to have a few before i give it a real uh kind of a verdict but um i will say that and this is going to sound like a negative but it's not but i the blend confused me Mm. and that again that's not a that's not a knock it's just it it, especially that means that i have to smoke four or five more before i can really get a handle on what it was i was tasting and smelling from that blend but Mm -hmm. um it was it, it was definitely a cigar that i enjoyed but at the same time the the blend itself just kind of confused me, but it's, it's something that I definitely look forward to smoking more of um, as the, you know, as the, I haven't smoked them yet. I'm going to, I want to have to ask AJ tomorrow. Yeah. I'm going to make a note of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a great stick. Um, for me, it, um, the warped sky flower. Yeah. Gosh, that's a great, yeah. you know, uh, great newer cigar that I, I've really been enjoying a lot and, um, had one the other night and it was fantastic. Yeah, that's one I enjoy nice. as well. So Nick, we know that nice. you know we t- all the people we talk to. Obviously, you smoke mostly your own stuff. You do a lot of blending, so you smoke a lot of you know uh, blends and and sampling new things and stuff like that. But is there anything you know uh, from from friends or you know people around the industry that you've tried recently that caught your interest? I have to say, this past week, you know, being down here, I had you know I have cigars all all over the place. I'm at my place right now in Esteli, and I had an old um, Fuente Shark. Oh, the, that's the, like an Inejo? box press torpedo. Yeah, is that it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Inejo, and it, mm. I don't know how long I've had it here aging. It might be the, might be a couple of years, and um, wow. Did it have yeah. lots of I, I gotta it? say, I. I couldn't put that one down, man. That one went. What'd you say? <laughs> he said he sees being a jerk to me. He said, "Did it have a lot of plume on it?" We are the 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 word the smokabulary word last week was plume, and Garrett knows that I absolutely oh, that, hate that word. Hilarious. So bring uh, it up just to, no plume. Yeah, but the wrapper was the wrapper was tons of oil. Yeah, and mm. the filler, you know, the pre light. Yep, uh, the aroma coming off it and. I hadn't smoked, um, I hadn't smoked a Fuente in a while. Yeah. Um, and you know, back in the nineties, you know, I started Opus X was like, 
that was my thing back yeah, right? in like 96 and yeah. um yeah i don't get a chance to smoke a lot of a lot of other cigars all the time but i just had that one the other night and that sort of hit me so nice that was a good smoke um i but yeah i just tried the um uh the so distant cigars we had mm-hmm. ben holt from mm-hmm. distant cigars on the show a few months ago and i finally went out and b- bought some of of the new distant blends and um the uh the dissident block uh was the one that that yep. uh stuck out to me it's honestly the first time i smoked it it's kind of going back to this aging room the first time i smoked it i thought man this is i i'm not sure about this one but then i smoked another and i smoked another and i get it now it's it's mm. it's it's got crap tons of pepper and boldness to it but then the more of them that i smoked i got the nuance that was in between those layers of spice uh so mm. i think i think ben did a good job with that blend awesome who was original where did that one come from originally well or- originally it was a it was oh, a, yeah. a a brand that was um uh, and i i wish i could remember exactly who it came from but i know it was uh uh, uh, Gordon Crippen and I don't remember the other guy's name, but they they were sort of the brand owners and the faces the face of the brand. And um, it wasn't Pizza Mike, was it? I don't think so. A guy named Pizza Mike. I don't think so. No? But then the brand uh, went dormant for a while, and um, right. Ben Holt, together with uh, with with James Brown and Angela Brown from uh, Oveja Negra, they bought the brand, and that's Ben's brand now. And he the, he reblended the 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 skews and and re released it last year, and um, uh, it took me a while to get my hands on some, but um, definitely I I think I think he's he's onto something. Nice. And uh, for my second one, um, I had a Padron 80th. Oh well, that'll do. <laughs> it, it did it did do yeah that's uh i mean that's it's, it's good stuff right there mm. nice um is there anything Tasty. Oh. i like that 40th i like that 40th oh yeah the that's a box press torpedo the 50th 40th the 40th. 40th i haven't had the 40th i don't think i don't know if i have either but um i mean it's padrone has been you know, a staple brand on humidor shelves for forever. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a legacy brand that just has, has, uh, you know, been one of my favorites for a long time. Yeah. One of my biggest honors when I first moved to Nicaragua in 03 was meeting old man Pedro. Oh. That was like, that was my highlight. Yeah. Cause I was a huge, I was 3000 Maduros was like my everyday, right? everyday Absolutely. smoke. Such yeah. A great staple. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I want to give some show notes for some stuff we have yeah, coming up. Absolutely. Um, as we said, next Tuesday night on the 21st, we are going to talk to Scott Pierce, who is the executive director of the PCA. We have a lot to talk about. We're excited to dig into it. Uh, it's not going to be the easiest conversation we've ever had on the on the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little tough, but we're going to dig into the heavy stuff because it's important. Yep. Um, yes, and sir. then, uh, when we move on to, uh, uh, this isn't actually on my show notes, but I finally got confirmation. We are on the 28th. Uh, we're going to get together with, uh, old friends from blind man's puff. We're going to have Emmett. Eric? Uh, we're going to have Emmett, Emmett and oh, Zane or Emmett and Zane from uh, blind man's puff on the show. Yeah. And we are going to talk to them about, 
uh, Blind Man's Puff, so our viewers and listeners can learn what that's all about. And and uh, we're also gonna we're I'm gonna ship them some cigars with uh, no bands, and they're gonna ship us some cigars with no bands. Yes. And we're gonna do a little blind nice. on the show. Oh, that's cool. We talk about uh, the you know the everything going on right now in the world of premium cigars. So I'm very excited to talk to those guys. They're gonna send them that sounds great. Fun. Like this. a grape? Well, I think, well, yeah, we'll send them maybe some grape or some peach machine mates. No, yeah. No, I would never do that to them. <laughs> That's too easy. It is. That's it too easy is. to guess. Too I'm easy. getting grape. <laughs> yeah. Subtle, subtle notes of grape. Um, Way too easy. And then the, the following week um, to sort of continue in the, you know, the legislative regulatory side of it, we're going to talk to Glenn Loop, who is the executive yeah. director of nice. Cigar Rights of America. So, Nice. Uh, the, the, it's it's important right now. There's so much movement going on with this, mm-hmm. and so so we're excited that within a short span of time we get to talk to Scott Pierce, and then we get to talk to Glenn Loop because uh, it's it's just I, I keep repeating myself, but it is so vitally important to this culture that we enjoy so much. So yeah, we're excited to get those yeah. people on the show and and you know learn more about what's going on and what we can do that, as consumers that. and media and cigar companies and retailers. What we can do to keep this thing alive. Yep. Yeah. And they've done an amazing job. I mean, CRA and just, just to have an announcement like we had last week, you know, even though it wasn't anything official yet, you know, premium cigars is not a priority Yeah. Yep. on the FDA's list. That was, you know, major. it was huge. What's that? That was major. It was, it was really, yeah, cool very major because it's, it, when you look at it, and anyone that looks at the numbers, there's no case against, you know, premium handmade cigars. Yeah. It's just, you know, nobody has understood the difference, the non-smokers between and the CRA and, and, you know, PCA. And these groups have done, you know, really great job in, you know, over the past 10 years, yeah. in making that more clear. So it's, it's great to see kind of that recognition from the FDA that's saying, hey, you know, I've seen a lot of the documents from the FDA lawyers and the checklist that I have to go through. And, and it's all cigarette type language. Right. It has nothing to do with our our industry. Yeah. It's a completely different industry. And that's been, you know, the challenge is, you know, showing people that don't know uh, tobacco and industries, the difference. Yeah. So um, I give a lot of credit to these guys because they're they're they're. They're, they're doing the struggle on the day in, day out and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, working on, on the behalf of, of companies like mine. So, yeah, I am, uh, you know, indebted to those guys. Yeah, all of us are definitely. And, and we look forward to learning more about what we can all do together. Yep. Um, so, uh, Nick, thanks so much for spending your evening Thank with you. us. And My pleasure, guys. If My you, pleasure. If you can uh, just give uh, everybody one last idea of where they can find out more about Cigars from Foundation Cigar Company. www.foundationcigars.com. A lot of great content. Our YouTube channel, Foundation Cigars. I did a seed to cigar time lapse video, which is kind of cool. Yeah. For all you cigar lovers, you know, I really wanted to show this process. I did a 10 minute version. It's like a short film and then sort of a one minute time lapse. So we worked on that for a good year. Um, So Foundation Cigars on YouTube. Foundation Cigars on Instagram. You can find me, Nicaragua, on Instagram. But I'm all over the gram. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. and and, uh, My pleasure, guys. Giving us tobacco knowledge. And we look forward to uh, 
you know, talking to you again sometime soon in the future. Um, hopefully things work out where we can, uh, uh, we can meet up at, uh, at PCA and, and uh, spend some time together there as well. That would be great. When is the show next week again? Um, when are you having uh, Scott, Scott on? Uh, two, two, we're always Tuesday nights. So Tuesday nights. Okay. Yeah, 8.30 Central Time. Perfect. So, All right. I might chime in. You might see some crazy questions that will be made. Awesome. We would love it. Love we would it. love yep. it. All right. So for our viewers and listeners, thanks as always for watching and listening. If you have any questions, you can hit us up on Facebook and you can hit us up on the website, howaboutthatcigar.com with questions and comments. And until we see you guys next time, burn cigars, not bridges. Take care, guys. Thank you. <laughs>